Hi, I'm Sam. And I'm Jen. And welcome to the Better Late Than Novel podcast. In this week's episode, we dive into some book news related to the Black Lives Matter movement, we discuss unreliable narrators, and finish up with what we've been reading. We want to take a moment and acknowledge that we skipped last week's episode in order to give Black voices the spotlight and for us to listen, read, and educate ourselves with everything going on in America and in Canada. We want to do what we can to support the Black Lives Matter movement and examine our own privilege. This includes expanding the bubble of thought, expanding our scope of coverage of Black authors and artists, and a commitment to read and discuss more diverse titles. We want to do better, and that starts today. Hi, Sam. Hi, Jen. How's it going? It's going. What a what a year this week has been, you know? Very true. Very true. There is so much going on in the world and uh, in the book world as well. Very true. Are you ready to talk book news? Let's talk book news. All right. So sort of connected to those larger world issues that are going on, uh, there was actually a publisher's protest So on uh, June 8th, a group of more than 1,100 workers across the book and media industries um, stepped off the job, essentially. And they did so in solidarity to speak out against racist murder, white supremacy, and racial capitalism. So they actually released um, a typed-up statement. You can access it online. It was through Google Docs. Um, But essentially what it stated was, Uh, That we protest our industry's role in systemic racism, its failure to hire and retain a significant number of black employees or publish a significant number of black authors and its pursuit of profit through books that incite racism. Participants were asked to use the day to support the black community by doing such things as protesting, organizing and fundraising, um, in addition to donating their day's pay to a number of social justice related and anti-racist causes. Um, So it actually started because it was a response to uh, several emails that CEOs of the big five publishing companies had sent out um, addressing the previous day's protests and the current political climate. um, And the statements were not well received. They felt like these statements were inadequate in addressing issues of white supremacy, racial capitalism, um, and the murders of black people at the hands of police officers. So essentially, out of the five big publishing houses, three have responded since the protest happened on the 8th. Uh, So Penguin Random House had the largest response. They've pledged to diversify their workforce. They've actually made a donation to the Equal Justice Initiative. They've implemented mandatory anti-racism training. Um, So some pretty big steps from them on this account. Uh, Hatchet and Simon Schuster also pledged to work on their diversity within their workspaces, and then Harper Collins and McMillan still have not responded um, to this request. You know, I think it's important for these companies to realize it's not enough just to post a blanket statement on Instagram or, you know, a, what are those called? Like when they have all the pictures, like those little like thumbnail collages, yeah. Yeah. essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. of all the black titles they publish and yeah. say like, hey, look at this is enough. Like we stand by you. Like, you know what? It's not enough. Yeah. Put your money where your mouth is, uh, HarperCollins. Exactly. Yeah. And there was also sort of in conjunction with this, um, a hashtag on Twitter um, that 
sort of dealt with this sort of idea, right? That black authors are not treated and not paid the same way that white authors are, right? Um, so there's several tweets that talked about that and the fact that if a white author's book fails, they're probably going to get a second chance. They might get another hundred grand advance. Well, if a black author's book fails, they're done. Um, so the, those kind of issues of inequality in publishing and book releases really need to be addressed at this point. Absolutely. And I really hope that this is a turning point for a lot of these publishing houses because this clearly this is something that's been happening for far too long. Yeah. And this is something that needs to change. So in other related news, a bunch of prominent bookstagram accounts are being essentially canceled after their response or lack of response to the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, Book of the Month and Book Sparks were two that I guess were highlighted specifically Mm -hmm. due to their lackluster response. Um, Essentially... There was an initial apology regarding their lack of diversity in their books and their lack of diversity in their ambassadors. Um, And a few prominent black bookstagrammers had commented, and regardless of whether or not it was on purpose or by accident, um, their comments were deleted. So essentially their voice was silenced, which is extremely problematic. So book of the month erased their initial post and then reposted a new message from their CEO um, stating that they were going to prioritize diversity within their book choices and within their marketing programs. Um, So, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens with that. I do know that I'm personally not a subscriber to Book of the Month, but I do know several people that canceled their memberships in regards to this response. So... I hope that Book of the Month follows through on their new claims. You know, some of them were they want to increase the author of color selection in their monthly book titles. They want to hire more black employees. They want to focus on inclusiveness in their marketing programs. Uh, They said that they were um, committed to donating $50,000 to some organizations that deal with racial injustice. So... We'll see what happens. Yeah, time will tell, I guess. Time if, will if tell. Follow through. Yeah, and you know, I really do hope that they follow through and that they do what they say they're going to do. And I mean, I guess we'll see. The last that I had checked, there had been no apology to the initial post okay. that had since been taken down. Yeah. So we'll see if they do end up uh, responding to that. All right, so our final bit of... I guess, book-related news this time around. Um, We had, in a previous episode, talked about J.K. Rowling and her new children's book release that she's been uh, releasing chapters every day. Um, But she's been in the news the last several days for nothing book-related this time around. However, some tweets that she released have caused quite an upset and definitely tweets that we don't agree with. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we want to give this one too much attention, um, except to say that maybe, you know, trans women are women, trans men are men. We don't agree with what JK Rowling, um, has said by any means. And we really think it's time for her to shut down her Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Step away from the keyboard Nobody wants to hear what you have to say, J.K. Rowling. And educate yourself. Nobody wants to hear. And there's that. So let's 
escape a little bit from everything that's going on in the world into some some bookish uh, listing. Yes. And uh, today we want to talk about um, some unreliable narrators, or do we? Because an unreliable narrator <laughs> won't even tell you. Can they really be trusted? Can they even? Are we even talking about what we say we're going to talk about right now? You'll never know. Um, so today we're going to talk about unreliable narrators, which is a subgenre of books that I particularly enjoy. I love me an unreliable narrator. Jen, what do you feel? I will say I love some unreliable narrators, which we're going to get into a little bit of debate here as we move through our list for the week. Um, but I'm going to kick it off. And we kind of put a couple books together here because they are very similar. They sort of, we talked a little bit about this when we were coming up with our list, but they sort of set off this firestorm. Mm -hmm. um, and so our first book is Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn, um, written in 2012. I'm sure if you didn't read the book, you've seen the movie, which came out a couple years after. Starring a handsome Ben oh, Affleck. Ben Affleck. Team Ben Affleck over here. Love him. Um, so in this particular case, we get a pair of unreliable narrators, right? So we get a married couple, Amy and Nick. Um, and on their fifth anniversary, Amy goes missing. Nick maintains he's innocent. He has nothing to do with her disappearance. But her diary sort of points in another direction, right? That there are cracks in their marriage, um, there's a lot of pressure from her parents, the police to solve this case, the community. And so Nick starts to sort of falter as the story goes on, right? And I would say, first of all, this was one totally effed up story. Mm -hmm. Like, this one sticks with you. You know what? This book, for me, was like the first, like, adult book that I read. This okay. was like at the point like in my life one. where I was coming out. I was probably like 17, 18. I was coming out of reading, like, YA like you know gossip girl like yeah. that was kind of my vibe and I picked up this book I don't even remember how I heard about it yeah but I had picked up this book and I distinctly remember reading it and getting to that middle point of the book <laughs> and being like what is going on like yeah. this is a book that definitely it sticks with you and you do feel you feel bamboozled oh 100 percent and I also feel like, I don't know, you get really drawn into Nick, right? Because first you feel really bad for him and what's going on and that he's accused of this. Then you start to really hate him after mm -hmm. a while. And then maybe towards the end you, you like him again. Yeah. Like, you just, you go through this emotional roller coaster. Lots of emotions. And this book for sure was sort of like, I always feel like it was like the catalyst for all of those like domestic thriller books that came out after and obviously you can't talk about Gone Girl without talking about The Girl on the Train by Paula yes. Hawkins because I would say for I don't know five years after you couldn't hear about one without hearing about the other yeah. and it definitely was you know for fans of Gone Girl and Girl on the Train like yeah. <laughs> you still hear that oh, sometimes yeah. Yeah, right where sure. you have that unreliable female narrator you know, who's been done wrong yes. and sort of seeks revenge. And in Girl on the Train, the narrator, Rachel, she spends every day on the train. <laughs> if the plot title twist, didn't give it away. <laughs> a plot twist for some, not for me. Um, and she spends, you know, 
her time on the train. And as she passes, she sees Jess and Jason, this couple, and she's so jealous of their life. And then you sort of realize, obviously, like, things are not as they see. She is uh, drunk most of the novel. And you you can't you can't trust somebody who is inebriated 24/7 24/7 so once we get to you know that point i personally like i remember liking girl on the train yeah. but it wasn't like the whiplash you get with gone girl yeah i would agree 100% and i liked girl on the train mm. but i definitely feel like gone girl was like the superior oh 100 yeah novel 100% definitely it's just so twisty and so unexpected, I think. And I think, too, there's something about a, I guess, like a, I don't want to say like a nasty female narrator. Yeah. But there's something about a female, a, like a, a scorned. Scorn. A scorned and assertive, yes. right? Like, yeah. Where you're kind of like, oh, because it's such, it's, it's such a different script from what is norm like normally read right it's it's totally different it fits into sort of like that like femme fatale like black widow like it sort of it fits into that but like so smart so cunning and i remember reading gone girl and thinking like that amy i know she is she is smart she is evil but but she is smart oh yeah so as much as we have, you know, the femme fatale Black Widow narrator, another type of unreliable narrator that I enjoy reading about is the definitely a stalker, probably going to kill you, but you almost kind of <laughs> like it, unreliable narrator. And obviously, I'm talking You by Carolyn Kepneys. And this is where Jen and I's <laughs> friendship will end. Because I, I love... Joe Goldberg. And I know I shouldn't. And I know that it's bad. But I cannot get enough. I remember reading you for the first time and thinking to myself, hmm, this is problematic. Because I love Joe. If you haven't read you, essentially, it's a book about a stalker who he obsesses over a girl, Bex, and eventually, you know... Things happen. Things happen. And it was just recently turned into a show on Netflix starring Penn Badgley, which Jen is also mad about. I personally, I love Penn Badgley. I love you. I love Joe Goldberg. Listen, I love Penn Badgley, but you are not going to lure me in to liking Joe just by putting his face on Joe's character. Okay. We both agree Joe is problematic. To say the least. Do you find anything likable about Joe? No. <laughs> Not one thing? Seriously? No. I feel like, well, okay, maybe in the first opening pages of the novel, I was like, oh, okay, he's kind of interesting. He seems charming. And then he turned into Joe, and here we are. <sighs> I, those, those are my thoughts. I would just like to say that I realize that it's problematic that I like him. <laughs> And as an unreliable narrator, I feel like the thing about Joe, and I feel like what's so effective about Joe as a character, and what, okay, let me be clear. I am not in love with a serial killer, okay? (laughs) But I think that what is so well, I guess, developed about Joe is the fact that you do, like, you almost feel bad for Joe because he is so unreliable as a narrator that he is able to weave such a story 
that by the end of the book, you can almost understand how people are so easily fooled by such a terrible person. And that in an unreliable narrator, I think is effective. Even though I know, because he's told me he's done these terrible things, I still am like, oh, well, maybe not. Yeah. Because he has such, like, he's so effectively tricked me. And that, I think, is a solid unreliable narrator. Can we agree about that? I do agree on that point. I think that's a great way to look at it, for sure. So, if you like You by Carolyn Kepneys... You might also like Perfect Days by Raphael Montes. And this one is sort of a similar vibe to you. Um, And I really liked this book. It's basically a guy who falls in love with a girl. He decides that they're going to be in a relationship. And then she does not reciprocate his feelings. Um, She's writing a screenplay about traveling around. um, I think it's in Brazil. And... Since she wants nothing to do with him, he basically kidnaps her and makes her go on this road trip with him. That's been in his, um, in his dreams, I guess, in her screenplay. So it's sort of laid out the same way where you get, you know, he's sort of likable. Um, it's super fast paced. It's not a super long book, but throughout the whole book, you're sort of feeling that same way where you're like, I don't know, I kind of feel bad. Oh, and there's... A really good twist at the end. I highly recommend it where it's sort of like every character is unreliable. So definitely would recommend that one under the unreliable stalker, probably going to kill you, but maybe you feel a little bit bad for him, unreliable narrator genre. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So our next novel is sort of considered a classic, I would say for sure. Um, but a definitely unreliable narrator in her own right. Not really a femme fatale, I would say. More of a naive young woman in this case. But More of a get it together, sister. Yeah, like open your eyes and see what's going on around you. Yeah, you're only unreliable narrator. because you're not paying attention. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Rebecca by Daphne de Maurier. Uh, so story of a young woman she gets essentially swept off her feet rescued whatever you want to say by this mysterious wealthy older man she quickly marries him he takes her to this vast estate in the english countryside mistakes yeah no no one around red flag number one um so she moves into this sort of old mansion where there's a essentially a psycho housekeeper who hates her because she's not the first wife who has died um and basically convinces her that she'll never live up to the first mrs de winter because you know she can't be her right um so like we talked about our narrator and what also is interesting she's never given a name so she's unidentified which also lends a little bit to her unreliableness. Right. Um, she just is too trusting. Like I said, she's very naive. She has no freaking clue what's going on around her. Yeah. Um, and just basically assumes everything's great because this wonderful man has rescued her. Um, which in and of itself is problematic. <laughs> Um, but if you have read Rebecca before, you enjoyed it, there are a couple modern takes, one of which I talked about already on our first episode, I think it was, or something um so the first one the winters came out a couple years ago um is canadian a canadian author lisa gabriel so she's sort of done like a modern take on it very very similar i liked it very similar close plot to the original i feel like this trope has happened quite a bit where it's sort of like it kind of sounds like um a few of those like 
I can't even think of a name of one, but it's mm-hmm. like one of those tropes where it's like the woman loses her memory and is in the care of a man or a housekeeper and then like, need, sculpts her to be what they want. Exactly. Her and then yeah. she needs to kind of put her life back together, but she's too trusting. I think one was like Before I Go to Sleep, I think, by S.J. Watson. That okay. was one that sort of had that same similar idea, uh-huh. but that sort of trope of like the helpless female with the caregiver, yeah. the, the rescuer, yeah. per se. Um, and then I talked about this one, Mexican Gothic. Is oh my gosh, out. so excited. Like, cannot Wait by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Again, similar, that sort of like gothic horror vibe, right? Um, coming out in a couple of weeks now. So if that's something you are into, definitely recommend those other titles as well. So the next title that has an unreliable narrator sort of falls into an interesting... I guess, subcategory, because I always think when I think of unreliable narrators, I think of, you know, you have your femme fatale types, you have your serial killer, suave types, but then you also have that idea of it being a kid or a child who suppressed their memories. And I've read a few books like that before as well that I thought was really interesting. And one of those is Allegedly by Tiffany D. Jackson. So basically in this novel, it is a um, a black uh, child. She, I think, is eight or nine at the time. And she allegedly kills a white baby while in the care of her mother. So her mother is babysitting this white baby and then the baby is dead. So there's like this whole media sensation around it. She ends up going to jail um, and she sort of lives her life, you know, paying, I guess, for this crime that she's committed. However, she gets pregnant and then she realizes like she's going to fight for her own baby. So then she basically says like, I didn't do it. This is what really happened. So then you kind of see the story almost in reverse. They have a lot of like little clips from, um, like the media or like psych evaluations where you're kind of putting and piecing this story together. And then you have her experience as she's growing up in like this group home. She's 16 when the story is being told and sort of how, you know, the stuff's coming together. And she is just a, like this book Mm -hmm. I binged in an afternoon. Like it's, it's not a hard book to get through. I'm pretty sure it's categorized under young adult. Like it's a YA novel. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's not super long, but it is so phenomenally written. I think it might've been the author's first book. I'd have to double check that. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but this author writes like I was glued to this story. And it was, you don't know who you can trust. You're not sure if she's lying. You're not sure if, as a kid, she was lying. You're not sure if the mom is lying. You're not sure if she's being set up. Like, it is this whole story that sort of all works together. And it was phenomenal. So I would highly, highly, highly recommend. Uh, The next book we're going to talk about uh, is one, it's one, I think, quite a few awards uh there's a movie adaptation it's been done on uh japanese television as well it's called never let me go uh, by kazuo ishiguro it is considered dystopian fiction but there's sort of debate as to where this novel really fits whether it's sci-fi whether it's horror whether it's a coming of age tale 
Uh, when I read it, I definitely think it has those sci-fi elements, but it's more of a morality tale, mm. and it's sort of a discussion of that darker side of humanity. Um, so our narrator is Kathy, and she tells you that she's a carer, so it's someone who basically takes care of patients um, with organ donation that are on a list and waiting. What sort of unravels as the story goes on and what you find out, basically, is that Kathy and her friends from her past are actually clones, and their whole purpose of being created is to be organ donors for human beings. So weird. So, yeah, like I said, pretty dark. Again, yeah. darker side of humanity that they're using technology to basically create these clones for the purpose of essentially dying down the road, right? Um, but she is definitely an unreliable narrator herself. She's sort of emotionless. Like, um, she never really tells you how she truly feels as she's going back and reliving her past and her time at this boarding school where they're, again, sort of raised and groomed to be clones. Creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. Um, and there's also these clear moments in the novel where she basically says, like, I don't know that I'm remembering this correctly. Um, it may have happened differently than what I'm saying at this point. So um, she acknowledges that she's unreliable. She's Yeah, she outright acknowledges she's unreliable. And she even says, like, sometimes, like, so her friends, I think it's Tommy is his name, like, he would remember this differently than what I'm telling you. So it's like, should, I trust, show it, should I trust you, Kathy? Or are you telling me you're lying? Kathy, get your story together. What really happened, essentially. So definitely an unreliable narrator here. Um... And like I said, I don't know that I would call it horror necessarily, but it's definitely a darker novel for sure. I'm interested. I have this one on my shelf, but I've never read it. And I think it's I'm going to move that up to my top of my list. Yeah. So hopefully you got some great recommendations there if you're looking for an unreliable narrator. Someone to lie to yeah. you for 200 pages. Someone to not <laughs> tell you the truth. Um <laughs> So what we're going to talk about now, obviously, it's that point in the podcast where we discuss what we are currently reading, what we just finished reading. So Sam, what have you been reading? I've been reading a lot of things. And I'll tell you, I have some feelings about all the <laughs> things I've been reading. So number one, I finally finished The Hunger Games. Oh, okay. After several, several weeks. Yes. And I am like, I'm really upset. I wait. I pre-ordered it. I went out in the quarantine to get it delivered to my car. I did a curbside pickup for this book. <laughs> like I was I was ready. And it just did not have the same magic that I felt when I read the first three Hunger Games books. For starters, several, several hundred pages is just singing and eating bread at various points. If I wanted just to do that, I would have watched the Food Network while I listened to music. That's just the reality of the situation. And I'm, that's all I want to say about that. Fair. Then I went on, fair, and I read The Lies That Bind by Emily Giffen. Which I also read. Another highly anticipated book of mine, again, that I pre-ordered with curbside pickup. <laughs> and this is what I don't understand. I love Emily Giffen's writing, and I continue to do this, and I feel like this is one of those things, you know, like, when they say that when women give birth, your body, like, releases a hormone that makes you forget, so you'll do it again? I will test attest to this. It's true. 
It's very true. I have two children. It's very true. <laughs> That's what I think Emily Giffen does in her books. Because every time I'm done them, I'm mad. But then I forget and then I pre-order the next one because I really like her writing style. I really do. And don't get me wrong. I, I find her writing style to be super addictive. I'll binge her books, but the endings are so brutal. I don't know. I agree with you. I read this one too. And I, I was really disappointed by the ending. This book was not what I expected. No. For starters, I totally lied on this podcast because I didn't understand the synopsis clearly. Because <laughs> when I started reading this book after giving the synopsis in our June releases, I was like, you're an unreliable narrator, you liar, because you did not, did not <laughs> say what this book was about at all. Essentially, what this book is truly about is a girl gets dumped, she goes to a bar, and when she's in the bar, a guy basically says to her, like, don't call him, it's not worth it, and then she starts a relationship with him, not an overnight relationship. I, oh. In my mind, I thought this took this book took place on September 10th, and then the events of September 11th happen the next day. No, no, they have like a month-long relationship. Couple months, yeah. And then he disappears after 9-11 and she ends up seeing flyers around. She calls the numbers because she's a reporter and she ends up sort of befriending this guy's wife. Yeah. And which, which she doesn't know, but it's sort of implied at the beginning. You kind of yeah. have an idea that there's a wife or something that he's yeah. not telling her. Yeah. Um, but anyway... I, I don't even know. The ending was just so disappointing to me. Like, I just, I don't know if she has, like, a word count or what. Like, it's like she gets to a certain point and she's like, okay, I need to finish this in two pages. Like, I just feel like her stories are so well developed and, like, I'm here for it and I'm with it. And then all of a sudden, my just, heart is blue. It just ends. So I read that. And then I'm doing a few rereads um, in preparation for Riley Sager's new yes. book coming out in a few weeks. So... I actually had only ever read The Final Girls. Okay. Um, so I'm trying to read all. And um, so I reread The Final Girls. And luckily I have book amnesia because I don't <laughs> remember anything I've read. I think, Sam, you maybe are an unreliable narrator. I, so, think, I think you are. <laughs> I think what it comes down to is I think I need to be done talking now. <laughs> um, so, Jen, what have you been reading? Uh, so I, like I mentioned, read The Lies That Bind as well, and I was disappointed in it too. Um, just the ending is not what I, I think, wanted or anticipated maybe um, from the book as well. But I just finished The Vanishing Half mm, uh, How was it? Bennett. Five star read. 100%. Yeah? It was incredible. Um, and I think it's just really timely um, with what's obviously going on in the States and in Canada as well. Discussion on race and identity, right? And sort of this connection between whiteness and power and control. Um, so it's that story of twin sisters, essentially. And what happens is they live in this really small southern town, not even on the map. And at the age of 16, they decide they're going to run away to New Orleans, so they spend some time there together, but eventually they separate. And what happens is one twin goes off and lives as a white woman. And then the other one goes off and essentially marries like a very dark skinned black man, has a child that is very dark skinned, doesn't look anything like her. Um, and she ends up returning back home to where her mom is. And it sort of sets off this search for 
her sister and what happened to her sister and where did her sister go? Why has she never come back? Uh, their daughters get sort of brought into the story as well and it traces their story over decades. And it was just so powerful oh and so gosh. like beautifully written and so educational. And I just really, really loved it. Um, and I'm really, like we said earlier in the episode, just trying to do a better job of being more diverse and reading more authors of color. And I just think it was wonderful. And I can't wait to read her other novel, The Mothers, I think is the, mm-hmm. the first one she wrote. So really looking forward to that. Oh, I'm excited. I'm going to add it to the top of my list. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. Until next week, pick up a book off your shelf and get reading. After all, it's better late than novel.